Welcome to the sixth episode of the Case Collective podcast. My name is Kingsley Grimshaw, and this month I'm joined by Mitch Lee, a solicitor in Barry Nilsson's Brisbane office. On this episode, we'll be covering a couple of decisions, one of which comes out of the High Court, highlighting the onerous obligations owed by persons and entities charged with managing the safety of others. In the interests of balance, we will end with a decision out of the New South Wales District Court involving a win for the defendants, demonstrating that it is indeed possible to prove a defendant discharged its duty by putting in place appropriate systems and ensuring they are complied with. So, Mitch, if you wouldn't mind, please kick us off. Thanks, Kingsley. The first case I have for you relates to the High Court decision in Kazarov and the Victorian Office of Public Prosecutions. This is an appeal from the Supreme Court of Victoria, where it was considered whether a workplace's failure to provide a safe system of work caused an exacerbation and prolongation of the plaintiff's PTSD and subsequent major depressive disorder. By way of background, the appellant, Ms. Kazarov, was an experienced lawyer working for the Victorian Office of Public Prosecutions in the Specialist Sexual Offences Unit. Given the nature of the work, Ms. Kazarov was subjected to a high volume of matters involving offences of an abhorrent nature including that of explicit child pornography and other grotesque video and audio recordings. As a result of this exposure, Ms. Kazarov suffered psychiatric injury and was diagnosed with chronic PTSD and a major depressive disorder, which required her to take time off work. Following her return to work, Ms. Kazarov had a falling out with her manager, which led to her feeling discriminated against as a single mother working full-time and leaving her with no incentive to work in the SSOU. Her employment was subsequently terminated. Ms. Kazarov issued proceedings in the Supreme Court of Victoria against the OPP, claiming negligence, breach of contract, and breach of statutory duty in relation to her injuries. The trial judge found the OPP had breached its duty of care to Ms. Kazarov when it failed to take reasonable steps to prevent her psychological injury. Ms. Kazarov was awarded $435,000 in damages. The decision was successfully overturned on appeal in 2020 when the court agreed that while the OPP was on notice for the risks to mental health within the SSOU, there was no evidence to suggest that alternative actions would have prevented her injury. Ultimately, the court found that causation could not be established on the basis Ms. Kazarov would not have taken any steps offered by the OPP to reduce her exposure to trauma, such as rotating out of the SSOU to another unit. However, a special leave application was later submitted by Ms. Kazarov and subsequently granted with the matter being heard before the High Court on 21 December 2021. The High Court found in favour of Ms. Kazarov by dismissing the Court of Appeal's initial orders with costs. The High Court concluded that Ms. Kazarov would have likely accepted a rotation out of the SSOU and therefore cooperated with the steps to avoid her exposure to trauma. The High Court also accepted that the OPP was on notice of the risks of psychiatric injury. Interestingly, it found that the notice of some of these risks were evident prior to the plaintiff's employment due to the nature of the work and the fact that it had a vicarious trauma policy. The High Court outlined that it was not sufficient to merely provide a safe system of work, but it is necessary to establish, maintain and enforce such a system and to prescribe, warn, command and enforce obedience to its commands. With respect to implications, this case really highlights the degree of proactive care employers owe their employees who are engaged in inherently risky work. By undertaking such work, the prospect of injury to an employee is more apparent than simply foreseeable. Hence, an employer's policies and system of work are deemed to serve as notice of the risks faced by employees. It is key that employers are actively taking steps to ensure their policies not only remain appropriate, but are also adhered to and implemented in practice. 
That is to say that an employer should do almost everything it can to protect their employees from predictable injury. The first case I have today is out of the West Australian District Court, being the decision of Sidham and Minister for Education. The case involves a pretty nasty injury suffered by a 16-year-old student who subsequently brought a claim against the West Australian Minister for Education. The relevant background facts are that the plaintiff and two of his classmates were apparently engaged in a game which involved throwing laptop stands at each other. The experienced teacher in control of the class confiscated the stands and placed them on her desk. She then told the plaintiff and his classmates to sit on the floor. At that point, one of the plaintiff's classmates became angry and the teacher responded by directing him to leave the classroom. When the teacher subsequently left the classroom to speak with the student, the plaintiff's classmate, who had been engaged in the game with him, got off the ground, retrieved one of the stands from the teacher's desk and threw it at the plaintiff. Unfortunately, the stand broke apart mid-flight and pierced the plaintiff's left eye, causing a serious injury. The Minister of Education, of course, admitted it owed a duty to the plaintiff to take reasonable precautions to protect him against reasonable foreseeable risks of harm. The court agreed the scope of the duty was not to ensure against injury, but rather take reasonable care to prevent it. In that context, the court concluded that the duty did not require that 16-year-old boys be kept under constant observation and supervision. However, in exercising the duty owed, the Minister of Education and their employees must account for the notorious risk-taking behaviour of teenage boys. In considering whether or not the relevant duty was breached, the court concluded it was a foreseeable risk that the boys would resume throwing the stands if left unsupervised and with ready access to them. Therefore, the students resuming their game of throwing the laptop stands was not a sudden, unprecedented or unexpected occurrence in the circumstances and the teacher should have taken precautions against that foreseeable risk. In particular, the court concluded that in order to discharge her duty, the teacher ought to have removed the stands from a visible and accessible location prior to leaving the room. Turning to causation, the Minister for Education contended that even if the teacher had remained in the classroom or permanently confiscated the stands, the injury would have occurred in any event given the student's behaviour. The court dismissed that argument on the basis that neither student resisted the teacher's initial confiscation of the stands and both of them sat on the floor when asked to do so. The court then considered contributory negligence. In doing so, it had specific regard for the plaintiff's age, the fact that he suffered from ADHD and the peer pressure to which he was exposed at the time of the incident. The court concluded it was reasonably foreseeable from the plaintiff's perspective that if he proceeded to engage in the stand-throwing game, he may suffer injury. Therefore, by re-engaging in that activity, he contributed to his own injury. Weighting the relative responsibilities of the teacher and the plaintiff, the court apportioned responsibility 65% to the teacher and 35% to the plaintiff. In demonstration of the seriousness of the injury suffered by the plaintiff, he was awarded damages of around $362,000, equating to 65% of the overall damages assessment. The case is a good illustration of the very onerous obligations owed by education facilities such as schools and daycare centres. It shows that being conscious of the risk-taking behaviours of teenagers is one thing, but having in place necessary systems to protect teenagers from their own behaviour can be very difficult to maintain and any minor lapse in those systems can result in serious injury and civil litigation exposure. The second case I have for you relates to a decision out of the New South Wales District Court in Horn and J.K. Williams Contracting Proprietary Limited. By way of background, the defendant, a construction company, was engaged to carry out building works on and adjacent to Victoria Road in Warrington, New South Wales. 
On 17 January 2017, the defendant erected a line of bright orange barricades adjacent to Victoria Road. On the evening of 19 January 2017, at approximately 9pm, the plaintiff and his son were riding pushbikes along a nature strip beside Victoria Road when the plaintiff collided with the barricade, causing injury. The site was illuminated at night by two streetlights, for which the defendant was not responsible. On the evening of the incident, one of the lights had failed. The plaintiff alleged that as a result of the low lighting, he did not notice the barricade. The plaintiff brought proceedings against the defendant with various allegations of negligence, largely concerning failures to properly illuminate or otherwise mark the barricades. The defendant denied the allegations of negligence and relied on defences contained in subsections 5B to H of the Civil Liability Act 2002, and also argued that the claim was statute barred and that the plaintiff was guilty of contributory negligence. The court did not accept that the risk of injury was foreseeable. The court noted the plaintiff's evidence that leading up to the incident, there were no difficulties with lighting and visibility. Further, this was not a case of Stygian darkness. Only one of the two streetlights had stopped working and the impact of this was not immediately apparent, nor did it require immediate action. Notwithstanding that the risk was not deemed reasonably foreseeable, the court went on to consider the remainder of the issues for determination. The court also found that the plaintiff failed to establish the risk was not insignificant. To that end, it was noted that the defendant was not responsible for the failure of the streetlight and that, that had the light been operational, the plaintiff would have seen the barricades. The barricades in use were of the kind commonly used in road and building works. They were designed to be seen and conformed with relevant recommendations. The plaintiff failed to establish that in the event of a greater than usual darkness, the risk of harm was foreseeable and not insignificant. The court noted that any warning signs would not likely have been seen by the plaintiff noting his direction of travel and inadequate bicycle lighting. Further, it was noted that the installation of flashing lights was undesirable under relevant recommendations. The court also considered irrelevant that the subject works were not being conducted at night and the defendant was entitled to assume the lights were operational when no faults had been reported prior. In those circumstances, the court found the defendant had taken all reasonable precautions. After examining the relevant authorities on whether a risk is obvious, the court concluded that with an adequate bike light, the large and brightly coloured barricades would have been visible and constituted an obvious risk. In relation to causation, the court was satisfied that even if there was a breach by the defendant, it could not have been causative of the plaintiff's injury. The court noted that the inadequacy of the plaintiff's bicycle light and the fact that he was looking down for potholes while riding. The court rejected the defendant's limitation defence on the basis that the plaintiff had taken all reasonable steps by instructing a solicitor and providing all relevant documentation. If it had been necessary to do so, the court would have apportioned contributory negligence at 50% because the plaintiff was riding quickly downhill with his bicycle light pointed downwards, not forwards, to detect potholes. This case really highlights, excuse the pun, the overall contextual approach taken by courts in assessing alleged risks. The court found that the commission of a risk assessment report prior to the barricade being erected provided great support for the defendant's case. That's it for this episode of Case Collective. As always, you can read a full summary of the cases discussed in today's episode and get in touch with our team by heading to our website at bnlaw.com.au. And if you'd like to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Podbean or Apple Podcasts. Until next time. Thank you.